Hey everyone, welcome to the Armory Hurwitz podcast. Today I'm truly honored to have Jesse Devon as my guest. Jesse is the CEO of Makery. Makery is an Israeli startup that creates digital instructions and training environments that are easy to access and fun to use. Thanks for being here, Jesse. Nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. So you've done so many things. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Yeah, it's quite a very, very career path. I definitely don't think it's the standard career path you'd expect of someone, uh, someone in tech. Um, it actually started even before we talk about career. I guess I should go to education. Uh, I, uh, I wanted to be first a politician, then a lawyer. I went to law school, dropped out of law school after uh, only a few months. Uh, decided I was very interested in languages and um, uh, Middle East uh, geopolitics. Uh, I went and then uh, did some traveling. Uh, most people do traveling at a later stage of their life. I did it uh, uh, earlier. Um, I, uh, I then decided I wanted to study Arabic and Middle East studies, uh, which I did in, uh, in Cambridge University in England. I uh, came out of that with a, a liberal arts degree um, and a language. Um, but not many other, well, I, I didn't think I had too many other clearly packageable skills for the job market then. I didn't know how to program. I didn't um, know how to read uh, financial uh, uh, spreadsheets. I didn't really understand marketing and sales. Um, so I went out um, into the job, job market, uh, did a bit of translation, a bit of research, worked in several different things. Um, I moved here to, uh, to Israel. I was very um, interested in trying to find ways to uh, bring the Israeli and Palestinian um, economies closer together and try and create understanding starting there. I worked in a, uh, something between a nonprofit organization, normal company, it's called a public benefit corporation, uh, where we were helping with job placements for talented Palestinian graduates. Uh, mostly in Israeli tech companies, mostly developers. Um, so I was doing a whole range of different things. I was doing some uh, consultancy, some writing. Um, at some point in that, I decided I wanted to try out more for-profit business and did an MBA at Tel Aviv University. Uh, so you can see it's a real, uh, <laughs> what they call in Israel, a salad of, of <laughs> things uh, mashed together. Um, and at first, uh, first look, I guess it's hard to find a thread to it all, uh, but I think the thread that, that, that I probably in hindsight managed to identify is at each stage, I thought, um, what do I have uh, valuable skills in and what do I enjoy doing? And I think that's at every stage I tried to, to be true to that. And also I didn't get locked into anything that I wasn't totally happy with for too long. I, I felt very comfortable um, with moving on with changing direction. That is nice. So how did you transition and get into the high tech industry? Um, so more practically, I decided it was my MBA. That was what I had done a lot of stuff in, uh, in consultancy, uh, research, translation connected to my degree in Middle East and Arabic studies. Uh, just an example of the kind of thing I was working on. Uh, the U.S. Uh, State Department wanted to better track uh, local uh, Arabic language media, um, uh, try and find out you know, topics of conversation, especially where they related uh, 
to uh, the US. This is going back in the, the previous, the Obama administration. Um, so I had a project working um, uh, with, the, with the US State Department where I was uh, reading uh, some of the main Palestinian media outlets uh, and explaining to them some of the, uh, the things that were going on there. Uh, now, to get from that to high tech is, is a bit of a stretch. If I go and tell a high tech company that's what my experience is in, they're not going to be um, particularly interested, I don't think. Um, so, practically, what I did was I went and did an MBA um, and um, then the, alongside that, I tried to build up some relevant business experience, uh, advising some companies, uh, including for no, uh, uh, no compensation at all. Uh, I was invited so you were doing that for free? For free, yeah. I was willing to work uh, for free. Um, and the main idea was to build up some experience, but even more importantly, that build up relationships. Mm -hmm. um, in business everywhere in the world, and probably even more so in, in, in Israel uh, and in high tech, uh, relationships are key. If people have worked with you, um, they trust you, they see you can deliver on projects, uh, you have good ideas, good creativity. It doesn't matter if you haven't got years of experience in something, they see that you can, you can provide value and learn fast, then, then you, you have a chance anywhere. Uh, and then Makery specifically was actually my first uh, Hmm. Uh, formal long-term role in high-tech uh, and again it came about through a personal contact to use someone in the company and the founder of the company um, who was then who was, was CEO and hmm. was looking to bring someone on to, to work with him and uh, then once you get in then it's all a question of you know how well you you're doing and what results you're delivering and uh, work from there. For an outsider who wants to get into the tech industry, what are the three main things you would advise him? Um, I definitely say, first of all, focus on, on your skills first off. Again, now when I'm talking, I'm talking someone more on the commercial side rather than development side. I have less experience breaking in as a developer and there are certain you know, actual uh, technical skills and courses you'll probably have to go through. Uh, thankfully, less so these days. You have to show degrees and more just, you know, practical uh, delivery of technical work. I'm going to speak more on the commercial side of it. Uh, the first thing I'd say is um, try and think not in terms of uh, experience, but first, in, like, what practical skills can you offer? So if you can show that it doesn't matter in what, uh, in what field, you can uh, learn a new field quickly, uh, digest information, process it, and do it yourself, then I think that's extremely valuable. Um, I'd say, okay, so three things, so that's one. Second thing um, I would say is focus on uh, relationships. Try and meet people, sit with people, listen, let people know who you are, build up a, a network. Um, and how do you do a that lot exactly? Of people I mean, obviously, getting any kind of relationship going, it helps if you know someone who knows someone, you can get a personal introduction. Um, but I guess less so in the time of Corona, but, you know, it would go to events. And there were a lot of meetups and stuff happening. Get a first conversation with them. Uh, try and target the, the individuals who you would be looking to have conversations with, the kind of companies you're, you're, you're interested in. A lot of people, if they're approached and asked, 
are you willing to have a half an hour, 45 minute conversation with me uh, to give me some advice? The vast majority of people will say yes. And a lot of people just don't ask for that. Me included sometimes when I think if you go genuinely, you show, you show vulnerability um, in asking for something from someone. Uh, you make it clear that the opportunity you're providing them is just an opportunity to help someone. It's, you, know, you don't have to necessarily be offering them an opportunity to solve all their business needs or receive money or whatever else people are perceived to be looking for. Sometimes people want the opportunity to help other people. Um, so I'd say focus on that, try and build up relationships. Um, uh, and maybe third, uh, be willing to take risks. Um, be willing to leave what you're doing right now. Obviously everyone has their own financial pressures, but you know, jump into new, new things. Uh, maybe it will start off as a side gig while you have the security of whatever you're doing right now. Uh, but I can say as someone who, uh, left several different career paths and education paths that it all came out through on the one hand taking a risk of, of leaving something but also uh, being willing to accept that whatever I go into maybe not, won't work and being open-minded about that. That is amazing. So for a British man who lives in Israel, what is the um, you know differences between the Israeli and British culture in business particularly? Um, okay, there are quite different business. I'll start with one thing that's actually positive for the UK, because uh, UK often gets uh, uh, some bad press, seeing as quite kind of backward and traditional and old school and a lot of things. One thing that I think is very positive about, uh, about business in the UK, uh, particularly when they're receiving employees, you have what's called in the, in the UK and in the US and other countries as well, not so much in Israel, uh, what's called a general liberal arts degree. So you may study history, music, um, uh, Middle East and Arabic studies as I did, um, but it's generally classified as a liberal arts degree. And to go through that, you have to uh, be able to demonstrate a number of skills of, of research, of, uh, of retaining information, uh, of critical thinking, uh, often uh, debate and analysis. Uh, and then what will often happen uh, in business when they're recruiting, especially commercial uh, non-technical roles, is they'll be looking for someone with those skills. And so you'll often find someone, you know, if you go into the city of London, you'll find people who have studied history or philosophy, uh, all the kind of thing that I did, and they're working in finance, uh, or they're working in business development. Um, and that's very normal in England. In Israel, that's much, much, much less common. Uh, you'll often think in order to work in marketing, you need a marketing degree. Hmm. In order to work in uh, biz dev, you'll need an MBA. Uh, and it's quite rigid in that sense, unless you've already gone into a company and you have uh, uh, kind of a, a proven track record uh, of having delivered results, then they'll or maybe uh, forego some of those, uh, uh, those required um, educational uh, certificates why do you That's think I'll tell you definitely positive what, about the uk what do you think what do you think um why do you think israelis are not as flexible as you can say you know people in the uk i think i think they're not as flexible in that sense is because a lot of the high-tech sector grew out of developers people who came often out of the army they had uh 
uh, a very high degree of technical knowledge and less experience uh, in uh, marketing, sales, biz dev, more of the commercial elements. And so an easy way to approach is, you know, is this person, can he do it or not? Is, do they have the relevant certificate, the relevant degree? Um, uh, sometimes actually the relevant certificate or degree could just be, you know, your, your native language is English. Uh, that could be a relevant thing as well. Uh, but it's, I think, just less experience in those elements of working internationally in, in the commercial uh, elements. Uh, and, and when you're talking about more of the technical roles, like, you know, software, hardware, engineering, and so on, then it really does matter. You do need uh, a, an education that trains, you know, be a degree or, or courses that train in, in those professions. That doesn't necessarily, it's not the same for hmm. some of the uh, commercial uh, roles that require, require softer skills. I don't want to go all negative on Israel. There are some very positive things about Israel um, the, the, as, as it compares to, to the UK. Definitely the flexibility in the country, I and mean, that's something that's kind of talked about a lot. Uh, I can give you an example of, of Makery, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, um, of being able to do pivots away from ideas um, quickly and unashamedly hmm. um, when you have a better way of doing things. Definitely a positive. Uh, the non-hierarchical nature of business in Israel, um, how everyone's encouraged to have a say. Um, and it's again something that's talked about a lot. But I can give an, uh, an example. It just uh, just happened to me uh, last week. We work at Makery with a lot of interns. I uh, in the previous role that, that I mentioned that I was doing uh, work placement started with with internships um, of uh, of young of Palestinian graduates in Israeli tech companies, and I myself did a number of internships. So I'm very uh, in favour of the idea hmm. of internships to gain experience. And we at Makery we also have. Uh, a lot of interns coming through the company. Um, an intern last week uh, suggested they were working on a, a prospecting spreadsheet and um, I found a database uh, that I thought was a good database to start uh, analyzing companies. Um, and she said to me, okay, it's a good database, but a lot of it's outdated. Hmm. Why don't we just go straight to, you know, uh, a company, uh, she took the example of Target, retailer in the US and start identifying companies via just uh, the target shop first uh, and treat, treat target as a uh, as a database of leads and then, well, yeah it's actually a better way of doing it because it's, it's it's more up to date uh, and um, I think possibly in the UK someone in the similar position would have uh, maybe in my position a management position would have been less encouraging for hmm. feedback and someone in a, in a much more junior position would have felt like their role was to receive the task and execute on it rather than suggest other ways. Uh, probably maybe assume oh, they're the manager, they must have thought of that. Or, you know, they'd be offended that I was telling them how to do the job. That doesn't exist in Israel and it's, in my eyes, extremely positive. So you started talking a little bit about Makery. Can you tell us what is the story? What exactly you guys are doing? Sure. Um, so Makery um, is a platform uh, for building and managing interactive instruction guides. And I'll jump in straight to, a, to an example. So imagine you, uh, you're buying uh, a SodaStream water maker. Uh, so instead of getting instructions for that water maker via a paper user manual or via a PDF online, 
maybe even a how-to video. Uh, we have an interactive instruction platform. What that basically means is uh, it's a web-based platform. Uh, you click on a link and it opens up uh, a, uh, a box that's a kind of smart box, or a player, um, and you swipe left and right through uh, visuals, can be uh, photographs, it could be videos, GIFs, uh, text, animations. You swipe left and right through the guide. <clears throat> and it's a much more fun experience, a uh, much more engaging experience, uh, easier to see. It's designed for the smartphone, uh, but also can be used on any, um, any device and it's customized. Uh, a big break is, uh, is that you're no longer dealing with linear experiences. So you're going through step one, two, three, four, regardless of, of, how, of what your individual situation is. So an example, take uh, example of SodaStream, for example. So you could ask a question, uh, if there's a problem with it, say um, the machine's leaking, is the leak coming from the front or the back of the machine? You'll ask that question and then uh, the, you give the answer and then you're only presenting information to the customer based on what their answer is, not irrelevant information. If it's the front, you're only presenting information regarding the leaks from the front of the machine. Uh, so what you're getting is a customized guide experience for every individual. Uh, an example, we also work ready to assemble furniture. You're building your shed on, uh, on solid surface or, or on grass. And mm. according to the answer, then the whole guiding experience is based around your individual experience. Almost like there's someone standing next to you asking you questions and giving you an experience uh, uh, based, ba based on your needs. Now that's one element to the platform. The second uh, big element is once you create a live experience uh, with an end user, uh, so it's not paper or PDF or a how-to video, but you have a platform that's, that interacts, uh, then you can do all kinds of other things. As a brand, you can reach all, uh, all kinds of other commercial, commercial goals once mm -hmm. you uh, provide a direct-to-consumer channel. So you can suggest they leave good reviews on Amazon. Uh, you can suggest other products that they may be interested um, in purchasing. You can suggest they leave their email address and get 20% off if they buy directly from your website. Uh, you can also get a lot of data on the users, how long it's taking them to, to build products uh, or operate them, where they're giving up, uh, where they're based in the world, gender, age groups, interests, all kinds of things that, that brands never used to be able to, um, to do. Um, with their end consumers, because you have retailers and distributors in the middle, we're enabling to do through, through user guides. So who would you say are your ideal clients? Ideal clients uh, are a B2B to C model. So business to business to end consumer. So the example I gave uh, of uh, a shed manufacturer, for example, uh, uh, in Israel or Germany that uh, sells to a retailer like Walmart or Target in the US um, and wants uh, a user guide that can A, give a much better experience to their end users, uh, improve reviews, brand equity, reduce returns. On the other hand, also directly reach those end users for all those commercial goals uh, uh, I mentioned. That's a classic use case. Hmm. Uh, you can maybe generally group it as uh, digital transformation. Mm -hmm. So it was used to be done in a in a very manual old way, particularly with paper user guides. I don't think anyone thinks paper user guides are going to still be around in 10 years time, <laughs> uh, but also PDF. PDF isn't digitalization, not, not in any kind of sophisticated way, at least just putting up a PDF of, of what exists in papers, uh, a pretty lazy way of, hmm. uh, of, of doing things and misses out on all kinds of other opportunities that you could be getting.
How is um, how has the corona affected the business? It it might seem like it actually accelerated things, you know, when you think about it, everything going digital right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think like any other company, we were definitely concerned uh, just in terms of a sales flow um, uh, perspective, you know, people less likely to open their pockets for new solutions. And now I mean, almost certainly the answer was yes. People just wanted to really kind of take stock of what they had, look after their, their, current, um, uh, their current income as much as possible, reduce their expenditure as much as possible, um, not go on any new adventures or try and uh, do too many new things in companies. I think that was the first response of, of, uh, of many companies. But then what we've seen is companies then realizing, okay, we need to engage in digital remote solutions uh, for as many processes as possible. I'll give an example. Um, about a year and a half ago, we pitched to a company um, that um, they have products um, that they install in houses. It's a B2B B2B company. They, they installed some uh, OEM uh, product that then they, they'll sell to, to various uh, contractors uh, uh, building houses. Um, so we spoke to them a year, a year, year and a half ago, pitched. There was some interest, but you know, it, never, it never went anywhere. Uh, and then recently the com company only a few weeks ago got back in touch with us uh, to say they have an issue with, uh, with training uh, the installers of their, of their products. Um, they first made some, some how-to videos. Um, it didn't go down too well. The videos weren't, you know, if you want to make a really good how-to video, it has to be a kind of Hollywood style production. Hmm. If you really want people to be engaged and appreciate it. Uh, if you do a kind of uh, DIY job, then, it's hard, hard to engage end users. And also they just had no idea how many people were watching them, uh, the videos, <clears throat> where they were getting stuck. They couldn't ask questions, track it at all. So they came to us and uh, again, this is a company we hadn't been in touch with a year and a half. Hmm. And they remembered us, what we were doing. And they said, okay, I think uh, it's time, time to talk about digitalizing our product training. And now we're in a very healthy uh, sales cycle with that company. And we're seeing this a lot. Companies understand right now the definitely sending technicians to the field, doing face-to-face -face training, even expecting customers to physically return products. Uh, all of that is very soon, uh, immediately because of Corona is becoming impossible, but no one's going to want to go back to that afterwards. Hmm. So definitely, I think any company that's offering uh, to digitalize this kind of digital transformation uh, concept that I was talking about before, but also particularly uh, doing remotely what was previously done in person, uh, a well placed right now. Hmm. You guys are also raising right now. You guys are looking into venture capitals and trying to see if you uh, can raise a sufficient amount of money. So first, what kinds, what type of VCs are you looking for to invest in you? And this, my second question will be, um, what is the amount of money you're looking to to get from you know from a VC? Sure. Um, so we're looking to raise around seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, give or take, depending on the the business plan. That's that's the the figure we're going for, um, which is fairly modest um, in our opinion in terms of scaling up the company, bringing it to uh, not just healthy profitability, but also able to um, then expand uh, from there. We see a lot of different avenues for for expansion. Um, we have our current investors that, that we're talking to, um, 
we're talking to focusing a lot on angels. We think we can get a lot of value from, uh, from local uh, angel investors. Um, we're looking at kind of smaller scale niche private equity that are particularly interested in our space, VCs as well, of, uh, of course. Um, particularly VCs that are looking for very sharp scale up. Mm-hmm. Um, given the nature of our solution, um, it's, we're, we're kind of unique in the sense that we have to educate the market. A lot of uh, customers we go to, it's a strength and a weakness of the company. That The strength is that um, we don't have a huge amount of competition in terms of what we're doing. Uh, when we go to customers, obviously, we have to explain the solution. It's not familiar to them, which is, you know, it takes a bit of time out of the sales cycle as well. Um, but uh, definitely any investor who appreciates the value we offer, appreciates that we're setting a new standard in, in, in industry, um, appreciates the fact we you know we have traction we have use cases with large customers i mentioned soda stream keta charbroil sunny black and decker we brought in big uh, big names particularly interested in medical devices right now again particularly given corona um glaxo smith klein's one of our customers um so that's you know we're kind of flexible in terms of uh in terms of the the investment we're looking for um it's like any company you know, we're looking for a, not just investment, but also kind of smart money. People who are going to help the company grow. Can uh, anyone who has connections to some of those more traditional industries that want to transform um, their training process uh, in the way that, that we're offering is hugely valuable for hmm. us. Amazing. So we'll get a little bit back to you on the personal level. Um, as a CEO, um, what are the main things you have to remind yourself every day before going into the office? I don't think I do remind myself things uh, <laughs> every day, uh, which is, no, it's, it's actually something maybe I should do reflection more. I try and do reflection on, on a periodical basis, but not, not every day, which is, um, um, could definitely help. Um, I think, and this is probably something anyone in particularly management positions can, can identify with trying to take your head out of the day-to-day things um, and consider the bigger picture um, on an ongoing basis, you know, on a daily basis in terms of prioritization, in terms of focus, in terms of being willing to change course. Hmm. Uh, that Those things can only really be appreciated if you look at the bigger picture rather than you know, be involved in like the next meeting you set up and the next email you have to shoot off the next proposal you have to write. Um, I think, uh, probably tied to that, um, uh, I'd say reflecting why you're doing things. Uh, obviously, you know, we have, you know, we're a for-profit company and want to build profit, but you know, what's, What's the goal, both on a personal level and on a company level? So beyond bottom line, why, you know, why is the company there? You know, can create, there's clear things that are important to us um, uh, beyond, beyond the bottom line. Um, so creating a profitable, sustainable company. It's good for the people in the company. It's good for, for the country. It's good for the economy. It's good uh, uh, for the people we're providing value to. Uh, one thing that's important for me personally is uh, is that I'm in a company where we're providing net good to the world. Uh, you know, we're not creating cures for, for chronic diseases, but I think looking at the net value of the company that we do feel that 
Uh, we're making life easier for a lot of people in terms of doing these processes. Uh, it's definitely a green solution. Uh, we're definitely not in favor of printing reams of instruction manuals, but the first versions, the updated versions and repackaging and all the, all the paper waste that's involved in that. And actually a lot of our customers have managed to, uh, to save money uh, as well as um, the advantages of, of going green uh, from our solution. So that, that's important as well. And then on a personal level, uh, for me, it's extremely important to be in a position where, where I'm challenged, mm -hmm. uh, where I feel like things you know, aren't too easy. Uh, no one wants to, like a mission impossible uh, to deal with, mm -hmm. but, um, but you're getting a healthy challenge um, each day. Uh, those are things I think uh, that, are, that are important for me. Do you have any specific role, role models? Um, a lot of individual ones for different, uh, um, different areas of my life or different things that I'm looking to work on personally, professionally, um, in terms of well-known people. Um, I, one, one of my, uh, pastimes is, is learning quotes. Hmm. And one of the people I most enjoy quoting is, is Winston Churchill. Hmm. may come as no surprise to many people when they, when they hear my accent. Um, <laughs> and I think his ability to deal with uh, adversity, obviously a lot of pressure uh, um, to stick to a, a goal when he was convinced it's right. I, I believe in uh, kind of going head down and following through on something and not questioning it at all. But I think he was convinced even when others were, were doubting and, uh, of what he was saying and he would kind of go, um, would, would really power through um, uh, in, uh, in a very impressive way. The relevant quote for that, by the way, I like to attach things to a quote to it. He would say, um, if you're going through hell, keep bloody going. <laughs> don't stop. Uh, don't stop in hell. Keep, uh, keep going through. Um, so I'd say he's, uh, he's someone I look to on a more personal level. Um, my, uh, maternal grandfather was very, very influential from, uh, for me. He, uh, he was a physics professor. Um, and he would think about things in a very analytical way, mm -hmm. but also in a very independent way. He had this, um, this game he would play for him. It was a game but it was a way of thinking that I think uh, uh, for me has been extremely useful. If you answered any question, if he would ask you, a, if you, he would ask you a question, you would answer. Uh, I have no idea. He would never accept that answer. He mm. would always try and show you that you can get much further by uh, thinking yourself than, than what you would probably uh, first think. So for example, if you were to, uh, if he was to ask you, um, uh, when did the Roman Empire fall? He'd say, I have no idea. I don't know the date the Roman Empire fell. Um, say, what do you mean you have no idea? Uh, was <laughs> it uh, 5,000 years ago? He'd say, no, that no, wasn't 5,000 years ago. It was more recent than that. Okay. Was it 100 years ago? No. Okay, so you have some idea. It was somewhere between 5,000 and 100 years ago. And then he would narrow it down. He would show you just by trying to think through all the things you know uh, you can get uh, pretty far in problems uh, by yourself. Um, and then you can go for, uh, uh, for help outside. Um, so he is definitely another, another role model. That is interesting. That is actually very interesting. 
um, what do you do for relax for to relax? You know, to get all that stress away, if there is any. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, there's uh, there's definitely a need for relaxation. Um, I'm a big football fan. Again, I'm bringing out some cliches here. With <laughs> British accent. Uh, all those Brits are the same. <laughs> Just kidding. Know, but, uh, I love football. Um, I guess I have to qualify and say I mean soccer by football uh, for the, the North Americans amongst us. Um, I find it very relaxing just sitting watching a game. It's, it's an activity that's passive. I think people do need some passive enjoyment, uh, not just always being uh, active. Um, um, so that's definitely some downtime. Um, it's important to be active. I like playing uh, tennis um and chess i feel a lot of nice. uh, uh a lot of things i enjoy they um involve um a degree of kind of preempting and i think trying to think a couple of steps ahead tennis as well i guess involves that chess certainly um uh, i like debating as well hmm. uh, it's a very big it's again it's part of uh the education you get in the uk um Uh, especially in Cambridge, have a well, very well-known debating society. Uh, we're encouraged to go and debate things, and a lot of the classes um, in my degree were set up in the form of debates, uh, which for some people can seem confrontational. The idea isn't to just be confrontational; hmm. it's 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 uh, it's a way of um, I don't know, expressing yourself and working your mind. Um, so, yeah, I like to listen to debates um, online and taken debates uh, myself as well what are your favorite books um i mostly like factual books i'm not uh a huge i don't say i'm not a huge fan of fiction i just don't tend to prioritize uh, fiction works uh, i'm reading a really good book now called red notice hmm. about bill bill browder a uh, an american investor in um all the energy that was being uh, privatized in the former soviet union uh in the 90s uh, a really really good story um uh, autobiography written by him um i feel reading autobi autobiographies you can learn a lot not just about the individuals but also how they uh, approach life and dealt with uh, various situations they they came across um I'm reading another book right now um called how will you measure your life uh, i think i got it right by clay uh, christensen who's uh since passed away he was a uh, business uh, business school professor at uh, harvard business school um which is also i guess it goes back to your previous question the kind of questions i ask myself or probably don't ask myself enough um that you have a harvard business school professor and most of the stuff being taught there um would be around you know, managing uh, businesses, but he had uh, uh, a course on um, a more reflective course, like why are you doing all this? How are you going to approach your, your career and so on? And a, a book came out of it and uh, it's very much focused on the individual. I definitely think that approaching everything in terms of organization, the company you're doing um, is not a healthy way to look at things. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, any organization, any entity is made up um of individuals and um a healthy individual or a group of healthy individuals when i say healthy mentally healthy uh individuals 
there's a much higher chance of making for a, a healthy uh, sum total of individuals hmm. in, in any entity. Amazing. My last question for you today is if you had to give uh, only one advice to the people who are going to watch this show, this podcast, what is that advice going to be? Um, everything that comes into my, my, my mind sounds a little bit cliched, a little bit cheesy. I'm just going to go with it anyway. Go with, with, go with the cheese. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Take, take some cheese to, to munch on uh, as we <laughs> depart. Where there's a will, there's a way. Um, like have that kind of can-do spirit. Um, first work out where you want to get to, then try and plot a path. And it may seem difficult. It may seem like you haven't got the right qualifications. You don't know the right people. Um, but if you're willing to kind of take that jump and take a risk, uh, then there's likely a way. And if you're even not sure, just ask someone, like, this is what I want. Like, how would you recommend I get there? Just... Uh, do whatever it can, do whatever you can to, to get to that, that end goal that, that's your dream. Uh, we, should all, we should all do whatever we can to, to follow our dreams. Amazing, man. Like Jesse. You, that was cheesy, right? <laughs> yeah, cheesy. It, was, it was cheesy, but... Uh, uh, it came from the heart. Yeah, yeah. Someone told me that uh, all, all cliches are true. That's why they're called cliches. That's yeah. why a lot of people... Yeah, I guess. I guess it makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah, you made me feel better. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, Jesse, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for putting in the time for this. And um, I hope to see you soon. Pleasure. Yeah, great show. Uh, I love listening to all your other podcasts as well. Uh, fantastic job you're doing. Thanks, Omri. Thanks, man. Have a good day. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.